0: Welcome, This Is My Truth is a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal because walls need to be torn down masks need to come off stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told this is my truth will you tell me yours hello hello podcast world welcome back to this is my truth i'm your host jesse Shirley, and today i have a treat for you all so it is in the middle of the summer and I have decided that I am going to take a pause on recording, um, solo episodes, but I wanted to still put some content out there and I've had all of these amazing conversations with other amazing humans who have their own podcasts. And so I reached out to a few of them and asked if they'd be willing to allow me to share my conversation on their podcast with my audience. So. Over the next few weeks, I will still be releasing conversations that I have with my own guests, but every other week until about September-ish, I will also be sharing conversations that I had with other people on their podcasts. So it will it's gonna be a treat, we'll see what happens. Um, but today I'm super excited to share a conversation that I had with a fellow Googler, um, I'm an ex-Googler, he's still a Googler, um, Adam on his podcast, A Mindful Fire podcast. His podcast is all about being mindful and also um, interlaced with you know being mindful about life, but then also how do you create the life that you want, thinking about finance as part of that. It's a really interesting blend, to be really honest and i'm really really excited to share my conversation that i had with him we get really deep and we go through my thought process of why i decided to leave corporate and you know how that how i thought about the financial aspect of that and so much more so i hope you enjoy my conversation with adam on his podcast a mindful fire podcast and i would highly encourage you to go check out a ton of great episodes that he has. He talks with experts. He talks with you know, co-workers. He talks with ex coworkers. He just talks with people doing really awesome things that are being um, mindful about creating the life that they want. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Adam on his podcast, a mindful, po- a mindful Fire Podcast. Enjoy.
1: Jess, welcome to the Mindful Fire Podcast. I'm so glad to have you here.
0: Adam, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: I'd love to have you start by sharing with the audience a little bit about who you are, your journey, and what you're up to in the world.
0: Awesome. I am somebody who is constantly learning and growing and trying to be the best version of myself. And I feel like that sounds really fluffy, but I truly mean that. And if you had asked me this question three years ago, I would have started with the the list of my resume. I would have given you where I was working, my title, which by the way, the company that I was working for, the titles don't compute to anywhere else in the world. So I don't know why I would ever say that to people looking back on it now I chuckle. But I was really living for my resume and living for what that next step in the corporate ladder was going to be. And just putting one foot in front of another and doing what I was quote unquote supposed to do. And I had this moment about two and a half years ago at six and three in the morning. and. I was brushing my teeth with my electric toothbrush and my husband just glanced over at me and he asked me a question, which he's probably asked me thousands of times. We've been married for nine years together for 13. And he just asked me simply, are you happy? And for some reason that morning, I blurted out the truth, which was no. And it scared him. It scared me. And I had a choice in that moment. I could backpedal and make a joke of it or I could stick to the truth probably for the first time in my adult life and be honest with the fact that even though on the outside I had everything I'd ever wanted I had a good job I had a house living in a city I had two amazing little humans I wasn't happy And the reason why I tell you this story is it was in that moment, I realized that I had lost my voice. And so I've spent the last two and a half years reclaiming my voice and rediscovering who I am, not as a mom, not as a partner, not as a Google employee, which is the company that I worked for 13 and a half years, but really who was just at the core and working really hard day in and day out to get there. And that led me to a lot of ahas and crazy leaps and turns, which I'm sure we can get into if you'd like, but really I am on a mission to create community and connection through sharing stories, because I think that so often we can relate to each other, even if we haven't had the same shared experiences, because... At the end of the day, most of us have shared values, whether it's the same feelings, but a different experience. And so that's how I answer that question right now.
1: So you mentioned that you were feeling unhappy because you realized that you had lost your voice. What does that mean to you?
0: It's a really good question. So for me, losing my voice was A moment where I recognized that I was no longer speaking up and sharing my opinion or what I wanted to say. I was constantly shoving things down. And that was true personally, less true professionally. Like I was known within my leadership teams and circles as someone who was pretty opinionated. But even then, when I felt comfortable sharing my opinion, I would still temper it down. And What I realized was that there were lots of moments in my life that I had just never dealt with. I am very good at compartmentalizing and shoving down my emotions and just putting one step in front of another and keep going. And it made me really successful in my job and in my life. But it also made me a shell of who I was. And so for me, losing my voice was... The recognition that for so many years I was living for other people's definitions and not my own, and I wanted to break that cycle.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like there was a lot of work you had to do to break that cycle. What did that look like? I'm sure it's ongoing, but what what did and what does that look like?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a journey. Going back to that 603 moment, I realized that I had to get help. I went back to seeing a therapist. I found a coach that felt aligned and I had to really unpack a lot of moments that I just historically hadn't want to deal with. Part of that was my journey to becoming a mom. We went through infertility struggles. My oldest daughter was a twin and we lost our son while I was pregnant in our second trimester. And so I just never dealt with a lot of those issues. And it was in dealing with that and seeking help of other people that I realized what I was really craving was community and being surrounded by like-minded people. And there was something really magical as I started to share my story first with myself. Like I said, I had to come to terms with a lot of those moments where I'd felt alone and isolated for me first. And as I then started to share and it was to share with one person then I'd share with a few other people and eventually I started to share at work amongst my leadership team and even amongst my team because what I realized is we all have no idea what's going on below the surface and it made me a more empathetic human and leader when I was able to recognize that and so it's been this constant journey and constant evolution of coming back to myself and saying what do I need what do I want what do I need in this moment what do I need in this day working through a lot of the guilt and shame society tells us as parents but specifically as mothers that we should be putting our children first our partner first but the reality is for me to be the best partner mom human I need to put myself first and whether that's Waking up a little earlier and making sure I have time to go for a run or whether that's letting the girls have a day with their dad so that he can spend time with them and they can spend time with them. And I get some time to have podcast conversations or do whatever the hell I want. It's just been this evolution of rediscovering what makes me happy and not feeling guilt or shame in going after that.
1: I love that. I I only have one kid. And I'm the father in the situation, if that wasn't clear, but my wife does everything and that does everything, but I see the need more easily to, I need some time, I need to do something by myself for a little while or have a day where I go and do something not very often. But my wife is much less likely to do that because I think there's just the everything's on her shoulders kind of feeling. And in a lot of ways it is. I try to help as much as I can and be an equal partner, but there's a reality that is definitely not 50-50. And I think it's easy to get caught up with all of the responsibilities of parenting, of working, of all of our busy lives. You know, We were talking before we started about just like maintaining a house. There's a million tasks that you need to keep track of. And it's easy to just Let that run your life instead of actually thinking, what do I want? What am I going to do to take care of myself?
0: I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Sometimes it's easier just to live in that overwhelm because for me, it was comfortable. Like, it's much more uncomfortable for me to tell my husband I need a few hours for myself than it would be to take on all the responsibilities of moving our family across the country and all the tasks that that we all take on. And so in a lot of ways, that is my comfort zone, that feeling of overwhelm, that feeling of go. And again, I think it's what made me successful in corporate America because the the company that I worked for, like that's sort of the culture that I lived in and created. And, and I'm someone who's a goal-oriented person. I want to be successful. I want to to make an impact. And so it is candidly a lot easier for me to live in that state of overwhelm than it is to to take a pause and to take a break. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And speaking of Google, it is Absolutely. That culture where it's just like a million things coming at you. Very few of them have anything to do with each other. They're just all new issues every time. And you just gotta keep charging forward, keep treading water. It's tough. And I don't thrive in that type of world. So I constantly feel like I'm just trying to keep up and not even keeping up. You get used to it, but it's just like, when is it going to slow down? And the answer is never. So I applaud you for putting in 13 and a half years of service and and doing extremely well in that environment.
0: <laughs> it it really doesn't. I can say that with certainty. Yeah. It really doesn't. And so for me, it was a conscious effort to slow down. And it made me really uncomfortable. Still does. It still feels like uncomfortable for me. I'm getting better at it. But I think that. I would be doing your audience a disservice by not acknowledging that there are societal and cultural expectations for parents, for fathers, for mothers. And it's sometimes easier to play into those roles than it is to be an advocate for, for change.
1: Absolutely. Switching gears a little bit, one of the things you mentioned when you were describing your journey and what you're up to is this idea that On the surface you had everything you had the house you had the husband you had the kids you had the job you had all the comforts that one could have and i feel very much like i have that as well but still you felt unfulfilled and just generally not happy and i can certainly relate to that as i said when we were talking before it's an up and down thing a week and a half ago i felt absolutely terrible i was like what am i doing totally overwhelmed totally burnt out like why am I even doing this? But then there's also a feeling of guilt there, right? Like I have everything that I could want and I'm still not happy. What's wrong with me? I don't know if you relate to that, but I feel like a lot of people feel that way. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on that.
0: I can a hundred percent relate to that. For me, it was a feeling of guilt for feeling like I was unhappy, even though I had everything I'd ever wanted. I fought so hard to become a mother and I had two kids under two, and I frankly didn't like it. Like it was a lot. And that makes me really uncomfortable as a mom to like admit that, but it's true. And so I think that for me, it wasn't like I woke up one day and I was like, oh, I'm not happy. It was a slow, process of recognizing it. My husband would always say one of the things he loved about me was that like I was fun and goofy and I wasn't fun and goofy anymore. Everything was serious and I had lost just sort of this spark. I love to read. I love to write. I wasn't doing any of those things, and it wasn't like just one day I stopped. It was just this like slow evolution, and yeah, I allowed my professional life to take over. Like I was successful there. I was able to advance and do well, and and so I put a lot of stake in that part of my life because personally, I felt like I was failing, and so if I could control my professional life. It didn't matter if my personal life was failing because I could control something. And I'm a recovering type A person. I like to have control. So it was easier to just put all my eggs into the corporate basket. I was traveling. Oh gosh, like at my highest amount of travel, I was traveling every week, usually to multiple cities and it was exhausting. But yet It was so hard to admit that I wasn't happy because I would talk to people and they'd be like, but you get free food at Google. And I'm like, but it's still a job and I'm exhausted. And I then come home to these two little humans who I love so much and fought so hard for, but I don't have any energy left for them. And so I'd be curious if you can relate to that and if your listeners can relate to that because I've talked to numerous people in corporate America since leaving. And even when I was in corporate America, and I think a lot of us feel that way.
1: Yeah, totally. I really do relate to that. And especially what you were saying about how you were fun and goofy and that you weren't showing up in that way in your life anymore because the corporate side of things and the seriousness of life and all the things that you had to attend to in your personal life and your work life really started to consume all of that energy. And I totally relate to that. Like last week when I was absolutely burnt out and just feeling like I can't even call a place to schedule an oil change. I can't even wash my face before going to bed. I'm just like tapped out. I got nothing left. And I noticed that I wasn't doing the things that I love to do. I wasn't meditating. I, not that I love exercising, but I wasn't doing that either. And I know that would be beneficial to me. I was seeking out dopamine hits by just scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or checking my podcast stats for the 17th millionth time, just to see if one more person downloaded (laughs) the podcast. So I'd feel good for a moment. And like, I just didn't have the energy and all of those things were then contributing to how I was showing up in interactions with my son, with my wife, and even for myself, just complaining constantly and I was snapping at my son, especially that period between dinner and bedtime when we have to get him in the bath. It's just an absolute nightmare most nights. And I have no energy, no patience, and I'm supposed to be the mindful one. I teach mindfulness, I have a podcast about mindfulness, and I'm just like losing my mind and just grabbing him and picking him up and putting him in the bath and he's screaming and I'm screaming. And it's like, what is going on here? And then I find myself apologizing to him. Like I'm putting him to bed and I'm like, I'm sorry, daddy lost his temper. It's so much and it's easy to lose sight of the fact of all the things we're juggling and to just get caught up and let self-care just go by the wayside. So definitely relate. That was a a long rant on that.
0: (laughs) But I've been there. I've 100% been there. And I also say I need contrast in order to recognize when things have gotten too far and So when I left Google, after 13 and a half years in January, I decided that I was going to take a leap of faith and leave corporate America, spend time with my two and four-year-olds, now three and five-year-olds, while they still like me, hopefully, and focus on the podcast and really see if I could make something of it. I've joked and called it my gap year. This is my year to take a pause. Gap years weren't a thing when I graduated high school. Maybe they were, but they were not where I grew up. And so I was going for years and I was exhausted and I needed a break. And I was really fortunate that we were in a financial position to be able to take a break. And I feel really lucky and fortunate that I'm able to do this. But there was also, again, a lot of the guilt and the shame and Google habits die hard. I said yes to a million different things. Like people were reaching out to me to consult and to do sales things. And I said yes to all of it. Mind you, I now um, have no help with the kids. I am with the kids and saying yes to all these things and trying to figure it out. And there was one morning I was up at three in the morning doing some of these websites. I paid someone to do my own website, yet here I am doing somebody else's website. and my husband's like, you should have just stayed at Google. Like the stress that you're having, this is ridiculous. You were never working this much. And I had to pause and be like, oh, I've done it again. All of those things, exactly what you're saying, all the self-care, all of the work that I've been doing, it just fell to the wayside. And I was going, 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 and I had to really reevaluate and decide where I wanted to put my energy again. And so i share this because sometimes I think that, when I'm talking to people, they're like, oh, like you've checked the box, like move on. And I'm like, there's no check the box, at least not for me. It's a constant daily, if not like hourly struggle with myself of reminding myself of my why and taking the small micro actions that I want to take in order to be successful. And sometimes it means doing shit that I don't want to do, but if I can do those small things, then it hopefully like, gives me the space for the things that I do want to do.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious, you said remembering your why. What is your why and what are the micro actions that support that?
0: So my why, it's a good question. So my personal mission is to create community and connection through sharing personal stories. For me, when I started to share my infertility journey with people, So many people told me me too. And it wasn't that they had also experienced infertility or the loss of a child, though some had, but not everybody. And that was my aha, that we all have moments where we felt alone or isolated. And so often we're not talking about those moments. And in that, I realized that our superpowers as humans is our ability to be curious, our ability to have empathy, our ability to connect with one another. But so often we're putting up a wall, we're throwing on a mask, we're, we're not sharing those vulnerable moments. And I, I get that. I completely understand why. But when you're able to take off that mask, even for a minute with yourself or with somebody else, it's such a gift because it's allowing that other person on the receiving end to, to do the same. And so for me, my big why is to raise two humans, maybe more. We'll see. My husband's going to hear this and be like, what the hell? But it's to raise humans that can have conversations with people who don't have the same background or beliefs or values as them, but really not be an asshole. Like have a conversation with somebody and really be curious and understand who they are and be open to them as a human. And in order for me to expect that of them, I've got to figure out how I become that person. And it starts with me and being curious about me and then extends beyond me.
1: Yeah, that's a lost art. Giving a shit about other people.
0: Especially right now. And I think it's so important. And I just realized I didn't answer your other half of your question, which is what are the micro actions I take? It's a work in progress. I think that if you're a listener who has done any sort of coaching program, every coach has their own spin on, in my opinion, the same shit, which is have a morning routine, like journal, practice mindfulness. And I think for me, my micro actions ebb and flow based on where I am in my life. I am concerned less about what I'm doing as long as I'm doing something that feels aligned to me. Journaling has been really helpful for me, especially as I'm like writing at my moments. Mindfulness has been really helpful for me. Recently, I've been getting really into breath work and really enjoying that. I just found like this amazing app. And there's this one that's let go of control that I've been doing probably like three times a day. And really just asking myself several times throughout the day, what do you need? Because I never did that when I was in corporate America. It was constantly go, go, go. I mean, you know what our calendars were like, especially as a leader, I was in meetings from eight till 5.30 back to back unless I took control of my calendar. And so I literally had to remind myself, I would put calendar reminders in my phone that would just be like, did you ask yourself like what you need? It seems so ridiculous, like I'm a 36 year old human who has to remind herself to check in with herself, but I needed that. I still need that reminder sometimes because I'm just so conditioned and I'm having to unlearn like that go, go, go lifestyle of of corporate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As you were talking about this whole phenomenon of go, go, go take on everything and try to manage it all is so common. And I was feeling this big time last week, it made me think about how important it is to check in with myself and to do things like sit quietly and meditate for a few moments. And just to allow the mind to settle. I teach this course, search inside yourself at Google. And we talk about our minds are like a snow globe that we're constantly shaking up. And mindfulness is like setting the snow globe down on the table so the snow can settle and we can see more clearly what's going on inside. And I really need that, especially when I feel like my mind is just all over the place. And then journaling, which you mentioned as well, is really powerful just to get everything that's in my head, out of my head onto paper. I immediately feel lighter Mm -hmm. from doing that and then I can work with it or I can throw it away either way, it's super helpful. And I've recently started this book called The Artist Way. You might want to check it out. People that have gone on sabbatical or taken time off, like it's apparently a thing to do. And it's all about unlocking your creativity. And one of the things that they talk about doing in the book is doing what's called the morning pages. And it's three pages, stream of consciousness journaling as soon as you wake up, just to get it out of your head onto paper. And I've been doing it for almost a week now. And it's really Interesting because journaling was always something that every time I did it, I was like, I need to be doing this all the time. But then there was part of me that was like afraid of what I was going to write down. Yeah. And so I would avoid it. And when I do it, it just feels like I can lighten my load and get it on paper and I can see it and work with it a little bit more easily.
0: I can completely relate to what you were just saying. So it's funny. I actually, I've, done morning pages. That was actually one of the first things one of my coaches had me do. And I never actually reread what I write because for me, it's just an act of getting it out of my mind or like brain dumping. And it's so helpful. And I think it was interesting because as a leader at Google, I had a really hard time with creating emotional like barriers. Like I took on a lot of the emotions of my team. There would be times where I'd wake up in the middle of it thinking about a team member or thinking about a situation, like how I wanted to deal with it. I was losing very limited seats that I had. And I started in those moments, like dump it down. I didn't think anything of it. I was just trying to like get it on paper so I wouldn't forget it. And then what I realized was like I was actually sleeping better. And I was like, oh, like connection. There's definitely, for me at least, a way to just to get it out so that it's no longer in my brain space has been immensely helpful i want to circle back if you don't mind me asking you a question is that okay
1: that is okay
0: i'm curious when you started practicing mindfulness for yourself one of the challenges that i had was when someone almost like be quiet with yourself i was like i don't want to i'm gonna be quiet with myself and like i'd be quiet and then like nine million Thoughts would race through my head. And for me, what I had to realize with mindfulness was that it's okay to have thoughts. It's just how quickly you can catch yourself and and like disengage has been how I've been able to wrap my head around. it. Again, like the type A person in me was like, I'm failing at this. So I no longer want to do it. So I'm just curious for you. Did you experience something similar?
1: 100% actually, when I first started meditating, it was on the Google shuttle from San Francisco to Mountain View about an hour and a half each day. I was like complaining about it to a friend of mine at Google. And he was like, Hey, give meditation a try. You know, gave me some recorded audios and I did it, but very quickly realized I was absolutely terrible at meditation. My mind was all over the place and I was convinced I was doing it wrong. And so I actually just was like, this is not for me. And luckily I eventually ran into him again. He was like, dude, that's absolutely normal. That's a part of the practice. So I, I gave it another shot and kept going and started to work with those thoughts and realize that it's not about clearing your mind or not having thoughts or pushing thoughts away as people often talk about it. It's really just bringing awareness to where your attention is in any moment and to your experience in any moment. And it took me a really long time. Even just in the last couple of years, I've realized that There's two parts of the definition of mindfulness. There's the awareness that arises from paying attention. And then there's the second part with a non-judgmental attitude, which I think of as having an attitude of openness, curiosity, and kindness. And I was so focused on that first part. Notice the mind wandered, bring it back. Notice it wandered, bring it back over and over again, bring it back, which is great. But without that aspect of self-compassion, that kindness and curiosity, it's almost like a militant style, like, you know, back in that type A world. The more I could bring that kindness of, huh, what is that? What's, uh, there's that thought again. Okay. Thank you. I'm coming back. That has become so important in my practice. So absolutely relate to that. A few years ago, I guess it was 2017, I went on a 10 day silent in a meditation retreat, which is not for the faint of heart. It is brutal. I wouldn't um, have
0: a very hard time with that. I'm pretty sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not even the silence part. I don't know if that's what your concern would be, but that's one thing. But you're in physical pain because you're sitting still for so long. Yeah. You wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Ultimately, I would do it again, but it's, uh, it's pretty intense. But I mentioned this because I spent nine days nine days of the 10-day meditation retreat convinced I was doing it wrong. Even though I had been meditating for years, and I didn't even realize that these thoughts about doing it right or wrong were just thoughts. They were no different than wonder what they have for lunch today. And I was so caught up in them that I kept going to the teacher. You could talk if you went to the office hours, essentially. And so I would go and I would be like, asking the question. And I said, I feel like I keep asking you the same question. And he's like, I feel like that too. And so then I realized, oh my God, I just got so caught up in this the whole time. And I was like looking for a particular experience. Anyways, I'm off the rails now, so I will bring it back, but definitely can relate to that.
0: I I actually don't think you're so far off the rails though, because what was coming up for me is like the notion of a hamster wheel, right? Like you're on the hamster wheel and you're go, go, going. And It takes that moment of pause, that curiosity to get off. And I think in a lot of ways, many of us are on hamster wheels, whether we like consciously or unconsciously recognize that. And it's not a bad thing. I think for me, what I realized was I no longer wanted to be on the hamster wheel. And if I decide to go back on the hamster wheel at some point, it's my decision. But the first time I got on the hamster wheel, it wasn't my decision. I was doing it unconsciously. And I think for me, this journey that I've been on in the last two and a half, three years has really been about coming home to myself, being curious with me. You know, we were joking that I'm in sales or had been in sales. And I was always curious about other people, still am very much. But it was time to look inwards and be curious about myself and what that looked like and creating... The life that i need for me and being open and to your point non-judgmental about what that looks like and having to some extent a leap of faith that that it's all going to work out that i'm taking the right micro actions that eventually i will get to the, to the spot that i'm meant to be
1: yeah i love that and I, I love the mindfulness of asking how am i doing right now what do i need and how can i support myself by giving myself what I need. That can't be overstated how important that is to do. Many times a day, right? Because we get so caught up, we just keep charging forward. We're on that hamster wheel. And so that's really important. Speaking of hamster wheels and getting off hamster wheels, I'd love to hear more about this process of leaving Google. I I joke that this podcast is becoming the people that have left or are leaving Google podcast. And I ask these questions because Eventually, I'm going to leave Google. Hopefully it's to early retirement. And I've been putting the pieces in place by investing and doing all these things. It sounded like you had been doing that as well. And so you were in a financial position that you could do that. But what was the process of coming to this point?
0: I joined Google right out of college. For all intents and purposes, it was like my first real job. And I almost turned it down. This is back in 2006. And my dad was like, you don't turn Google down. And I was like, no, I think I might, I'll never forget. I was like in an elevator having this conversation. And he was like, no. And I obviously took his advice and (laughs) said yes to the offer. And I took a leap of faith. I grew up in New York. I was living in Boston at the time. And I decided to move to Ann Arbor, Michigan to work at Google. I knew nobody in the Midwest, nobody in the great state of Michigan. And was like, what did I just do? And I share that because I think that's another example of me unconsciously just doing what I was supposed to do. And it was a good decision. I met my future husband there. He was working at Google at the same time. I was obviously there for 13 and a half years. If I did not like it, I would not have stayed. And I learned a ton. But there was always this part of me that I didn't always listen to. In fact, I very rarely listened to it, which was there's got to be something else. There's something more. I felt like there was this like fire inside of me to do something else. I just didn't know what, like when I first met my husband, Greg, I always joked that one day I'm going to start my own business. And he'd be like, what business? And every few years I'd have 17 different ideas that were like all over the place. And would never go anywhere. but I always just felt like there was something more than what I was currently doing. And by the end, I was leading a, a fairly large team at Google, and I loved my team. I loved the coaching and the, the mentorship aspect of it, but unfortunately, it was like a small percentage of what my day was, given everything else that leaders at Google or just Googlers in general have on their plate. And so if I'm really honest, I started to get the itch to leave Google after my second daughter was born. And as a Googler yourself, you know, that we like to go through a lot of reorganizations. And so in the 13 and a half years that I was at Google, I probably have been through 10, like formal reorgs.
1: We were affected by the same reorg.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: We were once on the same larger (laughs) team and then you got split away and sent off to LCS.
0: Yes. And the running joke at Google is the only constant is changed, which is true. Anyway, so I share all this because. I I got the itch, my youngest daughter is now three. So I started to get the itch around then, but I was coming back to a reorg. I was coming back to a new team. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna see this out. I'm someone who needs to be challenged. So it felt like a good challenge. And at the same time, this is also around the time when I you know, had my six or three moments. I'm coming back from being on maternity leave. I have this moment of recognizing that I'm not really happy. I start to make some changes in my life. I start to connect with all of these amazing humans. And I decide to launch my own podcast in March, 2020, as the pandemic descends upon us. It's a great idea. COVID was a lot. It's probably putting it mildly for a lot of people. We had a lot of personal things come up for us in the year of 2020. A lot of family illnesses, our nanny was pregnant. So she obviously left as she started her own family and there was just a lot. And I looked at my husband and I was like, this doesn't feel right anymore. Like we, we were trying to split childcare. I had the girls in the morning, he had them in the afternoon. It wasn't sustainable, like it wasn't going to work. And so we started to have more serious conversations around what it would potentially look like if I decided to leave. The term golden handcuffs, the term used in corporate America for companies giving employees financial incentives to stay. So in Google's case, it's stuck. And it's a real thing. Like golden handcuffs are a legitimate thing. And my husband, when he married me, I had some debt and he like put me on the right path. So I credit him for all the financial genius in our family. We started to put the steps in motion and have the conversations. And these weren't easy conversations to have. And it wasn't like one conversation and we were done. Like we had to have really, really tough conversations because my husband also wants to retire early. And me deciding to take a year off put a, Crimp in his plans. he's like, oh now I'm gonna have to work a little bit longer. <laughs> and I was like, Yes, you may have to. And so it's a very long-winded answer. So I apologize. But I share all this is it wasn't like I woke up one day and I was like, I'm gonna quit Google tomorrow. It was a very long, sometimes too long, <laughs> drawn-out process, and lots of conversations, sometimes arguments, around what it could look like, and making sure that we were putting ourselves in the right situation, both emotionally and also financially, to be able to do so. And I feel really fortunate. I recognize that the pandemic, you know, put people in situations that were not, and they were forced into retirement or unemployment or all the things like 2020 was quite the year and so for us 2020 was a year of figuring out what felt aligned and for me that was spending time with my kids and working on my podcast and then 2021 has been the year of saying after handcuffs partially being golden handcuffs but really handcuffs are anything that feels restrictive. Any of those like conscious or subconscious restrictions that I am putting on myself, what does it mean to be a good mother? What does it mean to be a good partner? What does it mean to be a good employee? All of those different handcuffs and there's handcuffs can mean Anything to anybody. And I'm sure we have our our all have our own definition and versions of that. So this is the year of at the handcuffs and really trying to make changes in our lives that are going to put us on a path of living our best possible life.
1: What are some handcuffs that you've identified and that you've thrown off?
0: So what are the handcuffs that I've identified? There's so many. When I actually decided that my theme for the year for me it wasn't a word it was really like this theme of off the handcuffs kept coming to me the obvious one is the golden handcuffs of deciding to take a leap from corporate america but i think even within that i had in my mind a vision of what my life would be i'd be a stay-at-home mom i would do something with the podcast that would be my job i would have a business not sure what that was and one of the handcuffs has, that i've had to throw off is being comfortable with being uncomfortable and not really defining what my life will look like. So I've been through it's now seven months since leaving Google and. I've had to make numerous pivots and changes and pullbacks. We were talking before we hit record that I decided to take a pause on podcasting for the summer because we're spending the summer on Cape Cod at my parents' house. And I grew up on the beach and I love the ocean. Like I love the beach. It's my happy place. And I have been loving being able to take the girls to the beach every day. And I've been feeling this pull of not putting out podcast content anymore, but there was this voice in my head saying, you can't do that. This is your quote unquote job. Like You left Google and told people this is what you were going to do. Like That guilt was coming up. And I had to say, F it. No, this is what I really want to be doing. And if I lose listeners, I lose listeners. But this is what I'm feeling in the moment. And I'm not going to let this story of what my quote-unquote job should be, get in the way of enjoying and being present with my kids day in and day out. So those are just some examples. And I'm sure if I like really thought about it, I could come up with like numerous more. But I'd say like the big handcuffs have been really around like my own judgments and judgments of others around what my life should look like.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As I mentioned earlier, I totally relate to the podcasting thing, just have to get it out. I have to keep going. Can't stop. Can't take a break because then all that momentum that has been going on the podcast stats, I can't stop looking at all of that will just stop. And then what? And I can definitely see if you left Google and this is what you're going to do. I would feel like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I need to do something. There's All these stories that we have around have to be doing something. And that's kept me from asking for a sabbatical. I've been feeling like I need some extended time off. I've been doing this for almost 11 years and I really need a break. But then it's like, well, what am I going to do during the break? And it's like, why can't I just relax? What's wrong with that?
0: Sunday though. So I just posted about this on Instagram that I'm like taking a break from podcasting. It's been interesting to see like the messages I'm getting. A lot of people have been really supportive and they're like, this is great. I love that you're being like honest about a break. And it got me thinking about my time in corporate America and five years at Google, you get five weeks vacation. I think they cap you like, you start getting at 30 days or whatever. They start sending you the email saying, you yeah. need to take vacation time. And I would always get those emails. I would always be getting emails that are like, you're running out of vacation time. Please so take a vacation day. And in the 13 and a half years that I was there, it's the longest that I ever took on a vacation was 17 days for my honeymoon. And that was it. Like I would take a day here and there, but we're never actually taking a break and decompressing. My husband gets unlimited vacation time. I can tell you, he for sure takes less than two weeks a year. Like we don't take breaks. We don't normalize taking breaks in this country, at least not in the circles I run in. And we need them. I believe I needed one.
1: We absolutely do. We absolutely do. And we don't take them. We really don't. I took three weeks off earlier in the year, and that was the longest I had taken in a long time. And I wanted to take more and uh, just didn't make it happen. So let's switch gears now into what I call the mindful fire final four. The first question is about the golden handcuffs of leaving Google. You mentioned that the golden handcuffs in corporate America really are the stock that they give you for staying longer and they keep giving you stock so that it keeps you there longer and longer. And it always vests over a four-year period usually. And I imagine knowing how much this affects me and and how much a part of my take-home pay this stock is, and also realizing that the second you leave that evaporates forever. How did you think about giving that up?
0: Again, it was a lot of conversations and some arguments and It wasn't easy. I don't want to downplay it. I want to be very clear that I did not wake up one day and it was like, I'm leaving Google tomorrow. Like it was a conscious decision that took a lot of conversations with my husband, a lot of conversations with our financial advisor and taking steps to start to diversify our portfolio. With my husband and I both being Googlers at some point, we had a lot of Google stock. And so we started talking to our financial advisor about, okay, are we too diversified in Google? And so, What are the steps that we need to be taking to make sure that our portfolio feels correctly diversified so that if one of us wanted to leave or God forbid something happened to one of us and we were forced to leave, we would not be in a situation where we were so reliant on just one form of financial income for us. And those were steps and conversations that we were taking in the background slowly. I also left at the end of the year. And so I did not tell my husband what my equity refresh was supposed to be for 2021. I barely looked at it myself. I actually told my director at the time, I was like, I don't want to see it. And she was like, well, if you ever want to come back, like I'm going to send it to you so that it's good for you to have so that you can use it for negotiation. I was like, fair point, I'll take it. And it was not easy. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but it was steps that we had been taking to make sure that we were thoughtful about our financial investments and also recognizing. And I came to terms with this faster than my husband did, that. At the end of the day, while we both wanted to retire early, my husband has this dream of retiring by 45 and becoming a butterfly docent. I don't know if this will really happen or not, but also seems like the weirdest thing. But We'll see.
1: What is a butterfly docent?
0: I had to find this out too. Like the people at like the Bronx who has a butterfly house. So like the people that like stand in the butterfly house and tell you about the butterflies.
1: Okay. All right. That's an interesting Retirement plan, but I'm all for it. That is awesome. Pretty hot in the summer, but yeah.
0: So many questions for him. And I share this because it was a lot of steps that we had to take. And also a realization for me that money wasn't everything. We were really fortunate to live the life that we were living and not have to be so conscious about every dollar in, every dollar out. And that had to change. Like we had to be more conscious. We had to be making different choices. We had to really take a look at our financials and figure out like how long we could sustain one of us not working. We even talked about him not going back and me staying in the workforce, right? Like we played out all these different scenarios. And the other thing I will say is I had actually a a good friend of mine, also a Googler say to me when I was like in a downward spiral since leaving Google. And she was like, listen, Yes, it's weird for you not to be making money because that's the other thing that we didn't talk about. It was really weird, still is really weird for me not to have a paycheck. Like I've been making money, like I've had a job in some form or another since I was 16 years old. I was really proud. Like one of the labels I was giving myself, like I was proud of the fact that I was able to, to make the salary and income that I was providing for my family. So it was definitely like a mind F for me to not make any money. And so she said to me, she was like, Think of the Google stock as like your salary for the year. And I was like, that is a good way to think about it. And in some ways, it was a bit of like mind games for myself. In other ways, it was just making sure we surrounded ourselves with people in our village who were advising us from a financial situation. My husband is much more of a numbers person than I am. I hate playing into the stereotype of like women women and finances, but I'll own it to some extent. And really just making sure that we were taking the steps that we needed in order to put ourselves in the, the financial situation to be able to do this.
1: I think that's super helpful advice. Yeah, get clear on your finances, be intentional about the decision and money isn't everything. And you can always go back and, and get a job and sounds like you can probably negotiate the stock that you gave up anyways, if you decide to come back, if Google wants you more than Facebook wants you, they'll do it. But let's not even go down that route. Neither of them can have you right now.
0: <laughs> i got four more months.
1: Yeah. So the second question is, what piece of advice would you give to someone early on their path to financial independence?
0: Don't make the mistakes I made. I didn't come from a family that was very well off. My parents worked really hard for the money that they had, but they also had a lot of debt. And I, I didn't know that until I was older and understood what the hell was going on. And so I think that when I got my first job at a college at Google, it was a huge amount of money and I spent it all. I didn't think about the future. I was 21 years old. And because this is in an area that lights me up and it would take so much more energy for me to sit there and fully understand the ins and outs of investing and the stock market. I've gotten a lot better and I understand what's coming in and out of my accounts at any given moment. Like I am conscious about what's going on. But I also have taken the steps to partner with financial advisors and ask friends who made this their careers and have conversations around what are potential options for me? What are smart things to do? What should I be avoiding? What to look into? And it goes back to, for me, like just being really curious.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. Be curious, educate yourself. I think that's great advice and don't go into debt if you can avoid it. Okay. The third question is what piece of advice would you give to people getting started with meditation and or mindfulness?
0: I go back to what we were talking about when we were talking about both of us and in our experiences and it's there's no one right or wrong way to meditate and to think about mindfulness. And if you start and you give up and you start and you give up, that's your journey and that is completely fine. I wish someone had told me that in the beginning, (laughs) like instead of me feeling like I was doing it wrong, I wish someone had just sat me down and said, ultimately, what you're trying to achieve is presence and curiosity. And I think I would have been able to wrap my head around it a lot easier and been less. And some ways I was resentful of the process. Like I was like, everyone is talking about mindfulness. Everyone is telling me like there's these courses at Google that I'm supposed to be taking, but I'm doing it wrong. And the reality is I wasn't doing it wrong. I just had to let go of that notion or that thought that I was doing it wrong.
1: Amazing advice. Yeah. I think so many people have that experience. And the fourth and final question is how can people connect with you and what you're up to online? And how can people find your podcast?
0: Awesome. Thank you for asking. You can find me at my website, which is jessysherloff.com. You can find me on Instagram at This Is My Truth Podcast. And my podcast, This Is My Truth, is available on all the major podcast platforms.
1: Very good. And I will link all of that up in the show notes. Jesse, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today and sharing your truth with us.
0: Adam, thank you. I've had so much fun. I appreciate it.